As you can see in your bulletins, we're in John chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're going to pick things up in verse 41, so please turn there if you haven't already. John chapter 6, verse 41, we're going to continue uh, this discussion about Jesus as the bread of life. We looked at it a little bit last week, and there's uh, more to the story, and we'll f- see that here in a moment. But before we uh, read this passage, just a, a reminder to us about maybe the Maybe the, the position our hearts need to be in as we read God's Word, as we hear God's Word. There needs to be a sense of that we come expectant and we come needy. Uh, when I say needy, in the sense that w- when we open God's Word and we come before Him, we come as the people who need to receive from Him. That, that He needs to give us something that we don't have. Something we can't uh, put together ourselves, we can't... Um, may happen in our own lives, we come to him dependent. We come ready to receive. And at the same time, we come to him, we open his word expectant. We come needy, but we come expectant. There's a sense of confidence when we open God's word that he's going to speak to us, his people. That whatever your circumstances are that you bring into this room here this morning, that God has something for you. That, that, that there's truth that he wants to reveal to you and remind you of and encourage you with or maybe convict you of. And so we come by faith. Over and over you see Jesus in the gospel impressed with people that come to him and they have this faith and he works in their lives. And so we come with faith that's pleasing to him, ready to receive, knowing that he's able and will provide for us as he sees fit. So with that being said, let's read from uh, John chapter 6. Let's stand together as you're able. John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 41, and I'll read through verse 59. I hear God's word to us this morning. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I come down from heaven? Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am living. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I gave, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, "How can this man give us this, his flesh to eat?" Jesus said to them. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Let's pray together. 
Father, we're thankful for this word that does not wither, that does not go out of date, that is unchanging, reveals to us you an unchanging God. But we are people who need to be changed. We need to be conformed to your likeness. And so would you give us hearts to receive and ears to hear of all that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated. It's easy to see in this passage that Jesus is talking to us about life, what it means to have real life. Think back in your life or maybe even today, a moment when you were able to say just that life does not get better than this. You think back in your moment in your life when you're able to say, this is ideal, this is a perfect situation and I wish this moment would never change I wish that Monday would never come and they would always be like this, that kind of life. This is a a silly example, but I can remember uh, years ago, uh, mid-20s or so, when Janelle and I were still dating, we were on this summer mission project in in Clearwater Beach, Florida, and it was like dozens of students, 60-plus college students, and then like a a dozen or so staff, uh, adults, supposed adults that were there running this project. And uh, once a week, we would go out together as a staff team and just do something fun. We would go bowling or just go out to eat or watch a movie, what have you. And one night, we went to this minor league baseball game. And um, what was interesting or what was special about this was the tickets that we had. They were tickets that we, we had club seating with these tickets, meaning we didn't sit in a normal kind of seats that you sit in a normal ball game, but we had, it was like uh, a pavilion, and so you had like uh, outdoor uh, table and chairs out there and umbrellas, and it was, you know, obviously a great spot to watch the game. The weather was perfect. I mean, it was in the evening time, um, and so there was a breeze, and it wasn't overly hot relatively in Florida at this time of year. It was just nice to sit there. And our tickets said that we could go to the concession stand as many times as we want and virtually eat anything we want because it was all paid for. So real food, uh, dessert food, whatever it was, you could go over and over again and, and get what you wanted. So it was just perfect in my mind. You know, it's like great weather, great friends, great entertainment, great food. That's not really healthy for you, but it just tastes great. And it was just one of those moments where I could just sit there and it's like, man, this is, this is awesome. This is living. And this is how I wish life was always like. That kind of life. And Jesus is coming to us and saying, if you want to know life, I am the bread of life. And I give you life. Not biological life, that you're a living and alive kind of life. Certainly eternal life. But the kind of life where you're able to say, this is the way it's supposed to be, and I don't want it to be any different than this. Life that's satisfying, life that feels, you feel complete, you feel uh, whole, you feel like you're in the place that you're supposed to be at, that kind of life. That's what I think Jesus is, is getting at and talking about as he describes himself as the bread of life for us. You remember the context last week. The beginning of chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. All these people he fed. And they continue to follow him. And Jesus gets on their case because they're saying, you're just coming to me because I give you free food, because I give you bread. You're, you're missing the point of that sign. It's not about you taking that gift. It's about what that gift pointing is, was, is pointing to. And it's pointing to Christ himself. 
And Jesus, in this passage here, is still in this continuing dialogue with the Jews of the day, having this response to it. How can Jesus, how can you talk like this? And what are you getting at when you talk like this? And Jesus is saying, I'm not some kind of special teacher. I'm not some kind of uh, giving you new potential philosophy of life and how to live, but there's something different about me. I'm giving you real life in me. I am the bread of life. And the question I want us to ask this morning is, how do we experience this bread of life? How do we know Jesus in such a way that we have life in him? Certainly eternal life. You're, You're saved and finding Christ dealing with your sins but life in the here and now, how do we experience him as the bread of life here today in our circumstances, in our personalities, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our callings in life? How do we know him as this bread of life? Well, two things I want us to look at that I think will help. The two things are this. You have to want the bread and you have to come to the table. You have to want the bread and you have to come to the table. Here's what I mean when, you, when I say you have to want the bread. Uh, to get to this where you have to work through a little bit of doctrine, a little bit of, of theology, a little bit to understand what it means to, to be coming to him and, and wanting this bread. It's a doctrine that may be appealing to you, it may be uh, repulsive to you, or it may be confusing to you, and it relates to uh, election. It relates to when Jesus says, you must be drawn to me, that idea of God's sovereignty and predestination and God's absolute grace. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. A little bit of background. Jesus is in an area where he's known. You know, if you grew up in this town, if you're from this area, if you're local here, uh, you're, you're trusted a little bit more. You're, you're given a little bit more, um, you're included a little bit more. But if you're an outsider, there's a little bit of, of leeriness. There's a little bit of uncomfortable with the, with the outsider. Jesus is a local here in this, in this place and in this time. They, the Jews know him, and Jesus is talking about, you know, how he's the bread of life, and they're like, how can he say this? We, we know his father Joseph. We know his siblings. We know he's from around here. How is it that Jesus can talk like this? And Jesus gets on them and says, your problem is that you don't know my real father. You don't know my real parents, and you're trying to you're grumbling and disputing because you're trying to digest and understand what I'm saying by, your, by reasoning it out, and you're not willing to hear from the Father. You're not willing to let God reveal it to you. And so Jesus comes and says, you need to stop grumbling. If you, people, you've got to be drawn by the Father to know me. And that's where Jesus, why he says that. And we hear that language, you've got to be drawn by God the Father to, to believe in Christ and to know Christ. And we begin to think, well, how do we play in that? What role do we play in that process of, of coming to Christ and understanding and knowing him? What about our free will? What about our ability to choose? Well, think about free will like this. Your free will, you will have the ability, you have free will in the sense that you will always choose what you desire. 
You're always going to choose what you want. And what you don't want and what you don't desire, you're not going to choose. You're not going to exercise your will towards that. Uh, Think about this illustration. It helped me when I heard it. Let's say for the next 30 days, you have uh, two meals that you can eat. You have your choice of two meals. One meal is a steak, and it's cooked how you want it, and there's some great sides and vegetables, and it's just a nice meal of steak. The other meal, the other choice you have is monkey brains and intestines, okay? That's your choice for the next 30 days. Which one are you going to choose? Day in and day out, I don't care how sick of steak you are, you're going to choose that every day because monkey brains and intestines, it's repulsive to you. You have no desire for that. It's not appealing to you at all, and so you're not going to move in that direction, now take that into the spiritual realm in your life. As we think about God and spiritual truth in our lives, the reason we need to be compelled or, or drawn to Christ by the Father is because left to ourselves, we're always going to choose what we desire, and we have no desire for God. You think about it like this. Why, you know, without the influence of the Spirit, it, we reason, why would I want to choose God? Because I'd have to give up my rights. He's going to tell me how to live. He's going to tell me I have to do things that I don't want to do. Why would I give up control of my life to him? Why would I call him my Lord? And why would I want to obey his laws and obey him? That's not who I am. I want to live for myself. I want to live according to my own agenda. Now, sometimes his truth and his commandments may help me out and may favor me. But why would I choose him if he's going to tell me how I should live when I don't want to do that. And so our free will is always going to move towards the things that we desire for ourselves. And so our problem is the bondage that we are in. It's our lack of liberty. And so it only makes sense in that context for God to say, you've got to be drawn to me to understand who I am. Some commentators will explain it as, uh, that drawing is, is compelled, that Christ or that God the Father compels us to a faith and trust in him, that there's this revealing of this is who God is, that the, the light is turned on, the reality of him is, is exposed to us, and then we move towards him, then we embrace him out of a desire for him, then we exercise faith in him. And let's stop the, the argument of theology at, at, at this point and ask, well, what does it mean to be drawn to God? How do you know you're being drawn to him? How do you know you're being compelled to him? Well, how do you view God in your life? Maybe you do this test. Uh, there's two ways, there's at least two ways that people have God in their lives. They have God in their lives in the sense of it's a consumer relationship or God is in their life because they're compelled to him. To have God in your life and relate to him as a consumer means that you uh, do things and call upon him to get things from him. So, for example, let's say I feel guilty, uh, I feel shame, and so I'm going to go to God and and get him to relieve me of that. I feel stressed. I'm going to go to God and relieve me of that stress and anxiety I I feel. Um, I, I I fear fear. 
uncertainty. I'm going to go to God to relieve me of that. You get the picture. I, I do these things, and God gives me these emotions. He gives me wisdom where I need it. He gives me peace where I need it. He gives me joy where I need it. I do this, and he does that for me. It's, a, it's an exchange. It's a business relationship that's going on there. Or you can relate to him in the sense of you're compelled to him. And by being compelled to him, it's the, your relationship is not characterized by God, I do this and God does this in my life. The relationship is defined by it's a relationship period. It's, it's a personal relationship. You're compelled to, to know him in the sense that you want to relate to him. You want to know him because he's true, because he's right, because he's holy, because he forgives you of your sins, because he, he gives you grace and, and mercy and forgiveness. And you don't go to him because I'm going to obey these things because then he's going to do this in my life. But I go to him because I want to be changed by him. I want to delight in him. I want to know him. I want to please him. He saved me. He rescued me. He, he died for me. He thought so much about me. And he was so intentional in my life that I want to, out of gratitude, out of desire for him, I want to know him. I want to please him. I want to serve him. And think about how important this distinction is because when suffering comes into our lives, it, it really has a, it can give us real understanding how we're relating to God. If you're relating to God in, in, as a consumer, suffering or hardship comes into your life and there's extreme anger, there's extreme disappointment, there's extreme confusion because, God, I've been doing the right thing. I've been doing this, this, and this. I've been nice. I've been helpful. I've been doing this and giving there. And yet you're bringing this suffering into my life. It doesn't make sense. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. But somebody who is compelled to God, who's drawn to Christ by the Father, says, yes, suffering is difficult. God, what are you teaching me in this? How are you shaping me? How can your will be done? Uh, How can you um, help me in this process? You come to that suffering as a disciple, as a learner, as opposed to somebody who's going to to customer service angry that they're not getting what they feel like they deserve. Where are you this morning? Is is God somebody that you're trying to consume and and use to get your own thing going? Are you coming to him because you love him, because you're amazed at how he would save you, that he would redeem you, that God thinks so much of you, and he thinks so much of you in a personal way. Doesn't the cross tell you that? That he thought about you personally uh, in, a, in a really difficult thing he did for you. And he's asking you to follow him and to trust him and to love him because he thinks so much of you. Would you think so much of him The second thing, uh, we come to know Jesus as the bread of life when we come to the table And by this, I mean there's this invitation to eat and drink. And so there's this picture of of coming to the table. It's it's where I get that. In verse 50, the Jews respond to what Jesus is saying, perhaps understandably. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They hear what Jesus is saying, that we've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they think, this is just crazy talk. Like who... What is he talking about? What are we supposed to do with that? It doesn't make sense at all. It's like Jesus is talking about cannibalism. What, what is he trying to communicate to us in this passage? To be clear, Jesus is not obviously talking about any kind of, of literally eating his flesh and some kind of cannibalism. But what he's doing, he's taking 
that things that we know in teaching us spiritual truth, we know about bread and we know how that gives us life and we know about drinking and how that nourishes us and the effect that have on us. And he's using that picture to say this is what it looks like to relate to me. This is what it looks like uh, to know me. Look at verses 53 again. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my food is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Jesus is saying this is an offer for you to come to the table. Come to the table and and find life in me. And there's so much here. I think it teaches us about the nature of faith what it means to be in a relationship with Christ by faith. One thing it teaches us about the life of faith is if you come to his table and partake of the food that he provides, you're going to find intimacy. You're going to find closeness. You're going to have find God in your life. That he is sharing his life with you when he died on the cross. And you embrace him by faith. You're partaking of his life for you. There's closeness. It's, it's personal. It's not, um, it's not abstract, but it's real. God relating to you in a real way. And what I think this means for us briefly is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived on the margins. It's not meant to be lived as you just go through the motions of traditions and and routines, but it's meant to be lived in closeness to God, in relationship to him, where you're communicating to him, where you're sharing with him, and you're receiving from him. You're letting him tell you that you're wrong. You're letting him tell you that you need to find strength in this truth. You're letting him encourage you. You're letting him guide your life. There's a sense of closeness that's there. The other thing is when we come to the table and partake of his food, he provides freedom. He's providing real freedom for you. Freedom from your guilt. Freedom from your shame. Freedom from you always beating yourself up and saying, I'm not good enough, or I'm not measuring up enough, or I need to be better here and there. I keep failing at this. I keep struggling with this. You come to the table, and you partake of his bread, his body, you're going to know freedom. Think about what that body and blood communicates to us. His body says, this is my life that's lived perfectly. I fulfilled every law in my life. I obeyed everything. I love God the Father fully and completely. I, I love my neighbor as myself. I've done all these things perfectly in perfect, obedient life. And that blood, what does that blood communicate to us? It communicates that he got what we deserve. He got the death that we deserve. He got the alienation that we deserve. And by that blood, we know forgiveness. We know grace. We know mercy in us. The body and the blood, the life we should have lived, and the death we, sh- we certainly deserved. That's why we have freedom. That's why we have life there Now, let me close with this thought, and this is a thought of of getting practical and getting maybe specific of how we uh, partake of this bread, uh, this promise of being the bread of life for us in a personal way. 
where we're, where we're really living, where there's a sense of vitality, there's a sense of, of, of knowing his peace, knowing his, his protection, knowing his sovereignty, knowing everything about him and how he's for us. How do we know him as that kind of bread of life? It happens when we read his word. It happens when we pray. It happens when we obey. Think about prayer, for example. It's one thing to say a prayer. It's another thing to really pray. Everybody has been perhaps in those situations where you're sitting down for a meal and uh, there's, a, there's a little one that's there and they've learned a prayer maybe in school or in Sunday school and they say, let's, let's pray and give thanks. And you ask the little one to pray and they pray something like, you know, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, okay? Now that's, that's a prayer and it's, and it's great because they're beginning to engage and, and think about how, what it looks like to relate to God. But that's just going through the motions of prayer. It's so different from actually praying and wrestling with God the Father and Christ the Son and, and God the Holy Spirit, engaging him and knowing him and, and pouring out your heart before him, it, seeing his promises and, and reading those promises and embracing those as true for yourself and praying like that as opposed to going through the motions of prayer. It's, another, it's one thing also to hear God's word, to read God's word, and really embrace that truth for yourself. When you're reading scripture on your own, what are you doing? You just, I just want to read this paragraph and move on. But are you allowing the text to ask you questions? Are you asking the text questions? Are you, are you saying, what do I learn about God here? What promises do I see in this passage that are for me? Uh, what do I see about sin? What do I see about something that I need to believe or something I need to confess? How would my life be different if I believe this truth? You begin to ask those questions of the word, you're going to know the vitality of having life in him. Because he's, God is not going to be distant for you, this distant abstract thought, but he's going to be real and present. His promises are going to ring true for you, and you're going to find a home for that truth with the circumstances that you're facing today or later this afternoon or next week. Ways that you need to be encouraged. That's the bread of life coming and being true in and through you. God thought about you in a personal way that you are very personal to him. His son lived perfectly and died for you. We can know him in a personal way when we embrace him as the bread of life for us. Let's pray together. Father, we come uh, needy and we come hungry. We come looking to find uh, fulfillment in other things. But you promise to be the bread of life for us, that we can have life in you, eternal life, salvation, but also, and with that, life today, a life of contentment, a life of power, a life of rest, a life of truth, a life that's not bombarded with guilt and shame and confusion. We pray that you would minister to us and that we would partake of you as the bread of life. We ask in Christ's name, amen.